You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Avracha. My name is Gershon Shaffel. I'm a member of the Chicago Chosha Mishbakolo, as well as Rav of Young Israel of Skokie. And I wanted to discuss with you this morning a little bit about the halachic issues related to paying tuition in a uh, Makas Medina, when there is a, uh, a plague which is going on, when there is an unforeseen circumstance which has changed the nature of a, the relationship between families and, uh, and the school. Uh, it's a topic which I've hesitated to, uh, to talk about for a while, just because it's uh, such a broad topic and it impacts people. It's not the two individuals who have a disagreement about the financial matter. It has to do with something which is a communal type of uh, uh, issue. But uh, people are now beginning to, uh, to ask questions and to, uh, to wonder, they should be paying, they shouldn't be paying, the school should be cashing checks, the school should not be cashing checks. They are providing a service, but it's not the same service. And I thought it would be worthwhile to uh, provide some education and uh, go over some of the issues which are involved so that everybody will come from a position of knowledge in understanding what halacha has to say. And hopefully that will facilitate being able to resolve the, these matters uh, halachically. Nothing which I say here is, uh, should be understood or should be misconstrued as a psak. I'm just sharing with you the issues which are involved. Uh, the psak, as we'll talk about at the end, is something which is really up to the Gdole HaPoskim to go ahead and decide how to, uh, how to be machria. As we're going to see, it's something which a simple, broad psak isn't necessarily appropriate because there are many different situations which schools and families may find themselves in, and therefore it's not going to be one psak fits all. It may be necessary on a school-by-school -school basis or maybe even uh, individual families within schools for the different halachas to, uh, to apply. But I just want to share with you what the issues are so that they will all be on the same page in terms of trying to resolve this matter, al-pidvar Hashem, based on the, uh, the word of Hashem. Uh, and hopefully this will, uh, will uh, uh, provide you with that, uh, that knowledge. So the sugi really begins, the discussion really begins in the, from Shulchan Aruch's perspective in Simon Shimchaf Aleph. There is a relationship called Chakirus. Chakirus is a type of lease but rather than the lessor and the lessee uh, having a payment being made based on percentages, sometimes it would be that the owner of the field would take two-thirds or perhaps would take one-third, and the tenant farmer would go ahead and take the rest of the, uh, the, the, uh, the percentage of the produce. So when everything is based on uh, percentages, so then it doesn't make a difference how much is actually produced, whether it's a profitable year or whether it's not such a profitable year. Either way, whatever the produce is, one party gets two-thirds, the other party gets one-third, and everybody will just have to uh, make do with what it has. There's another type of agreement, which is the Hakiris agreement. In the Hakiris agreement, what happens is, is that the tenant farmer commits to provide the owner of the field with a certain number of bushels of grain, let's say. So at the beginning of the lease, the farmer says, I'm going to give you 200 bushels of grain. And he has that obligation regardless of whether or not the field produces 1,000 bushels, pr produces 500 bushels, produces only 200 bushels. Either way, the farmer is obligated to provide the 200 bushels for the lease payment. And that's something which has nothing to do with uh, uh, relatively how much is produced. Now, what happens sometimes is, is that there's a Makas Medina. 
there are weather conditions which make it possible that nobody in the region is producing the expected amount of grain, the expected amount of produce. And as a result of that, Shulchan Aruch says that if there's a Makas Medina, let's say the river dries up and nobody's able to go ahead and water their field, so then menakelo michakiru. So what's going to happen is, is there's going to be a reduction. The, uh, the postgame, the, uh, the uh, local postgame are going to figure out what the expected amount is and what, how the, uh, the Makas Medina, how this unforeseen uh, cir- uh, circumstance, which has affected the region, how that has now reduced what the fields could potentially produce. And as a result of that, the Balabayas, the owner of the field, he's not going to get the 200 bushels which he was expecting for his lease payment. He's going to suffer, he's going to lose as a result. So we have a circumstance where when there's a Makas Medina, the Balabayas, the one who's expecting to, uh, to, uh, to get paid, so they are not going to get paid the, uh, the, the same amount. Comes along the Ramah, and the Ramah says that the same thing is going to be true with that the same thing is going to be true in any type of similar circumstance where there's a relationship between a balabayas and somebody else. The balabayas was expecting to get a certain amount. He was expecting to get a certain amount of grain or whatever the, uh, the agreement was. And as a result of the makas medina, so he's not going to be able to receive the same product that he was expecting. And says the Ramah, then the Ramah goes and says, V'chein pasuk ma'ram amalamit. The ma'ram, one of the Rishon went ahead and paskin with regards to a teacher. Shagazar ha-moshe sholo yilmod, where the, the government made a decree that teaching is not possible. And there's a discussion in the post on what exactly the gzeir was. But let's just say simplicity that the schools were shut down. The Havi Makas Medina, where that is considered to be a Makas Medina when the government closed, closes down the schools, that would qualify as a Makas Medina. And the entire loss is going to be suffered by the Balabais. So now what we have to understand is what the Ramah is teaching us is, is something which fascinates the, uh, the Achronim, the subsequent Achronim. Because what the Ramah is essentially telling us, based on this Maram, in the first day, and the first opinion over here, is that when the government goes out and shuts down the schools, if the loss is the Balabayas, what that means is, is we transfer that into our setting. So the parents, parents who send their children to school, they're the Balabayas. They're the ones who are paying for a service. And the school, the Malamed, the, uh, the Rebbe, so he is the one who is providing the service. He is the poel, he is the worker, let's say. And in that relationship, if the Ramah, based on the Maram, says that the loss is going to be to the Balabayas, that means the Balabayas has to continue to pay the day school tuition, has to continue to pay the Malamed, even though the Malamed is not going to be able to teach. Even though the Malamed is not going to be able to do his job, that's going to be too bad on the Balabayas, and the Balabayas is going to be the one who suffers this, uh, this loss. This is a fascinating thing that the Ramah says, because the general rule in Schiras Parlim, the general rule when it comes to employees, is that when an onus occurs, an unforeseen circumstance arises, which neither the employer nor the employee could have anticipated. So when such a loss occurs, generally the rule of thumb is that it's say to the poem. The loss is going to be to the, uh, to the employee, not to the employer. But over here, by Amakas Medina, suddenly the responsibility shifts. And rather than saying that the poel is going to lose out, rather than saying that it's your mazel, 
employee, which caused you this job to not be available, and therefore it's too bad for you, and you're not going to be able to get paid. In the case of Makas Medina, the Ramah says that the loss is going to be on the Balabayas, and he's going to have to pay for a service which he's not receiving. And one of the explanations which they have, why there should potentially be a, a shift, is based on what we said that generally when there's an employment agreement in place, and then an unforeseen circumstance, an onus arises, which makes it impossible for the employment agreement to be carried out. So we say to the employee, listen, it's your mazel that you're not going to be able to do the job and get paid. And what are you going to do? This is what the Gamzulatobah, this is what Kashbarhu wanted. But when it's a Makas Medina, when it's something which affects the entire region, so when it affects the entire region, we say that what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Ratzon in this circumstance is, is that the Balabayas shouldn't be able to receive the service which he was paying for. So we say it's no longer the mazel of the Poel. Now we shift it over and say it's the mazel of the Balabayas. And your mazel, Mr. Balabayas or Mr. Balabatim, is that you're going to go ahead and continue to pay for the service. And your mazel is such, you're not going to be able to receive this service. That's the first opinion in the Ramah. The main thing to remember is that it's Pseida the Balabayas. That's the loss for the Balabayas. Then the Ramah says, Vyeshchokin, there are those who disagree. That at whatever point the Makas Medina kicks in, at whatever point this, uh, this regional unforeseen circumstance kicks in, from then on, it's as if they are backing out of the agreement. Kamosh Amrina Leah, like we say elsewhere, where that is. And that is that once the, the original employment agreement cannot be carried out, so then it's as if both parties back out and there's no further responsibility what, whatsoever. That essentially means that it's Pseida de Poel that as soon as the unforeseen circumstance arises, the employment agreement dissolves, and now the Balabayas doesn't have to pay for the service uh, that, he, that he's not receiving. And the Svar, then the Ramah concludes, after presenting these two opinions, whether it's the Balabayas' loss, in the case of a, a school setting, that's going to be the parents, or whether it's Pseida de po, uh, uh, whether it is the loss of the Poel, meaning that the Poel, the school, is not going to get their money. Says That the first opinion seems to me to be correct. And what that means is, as we translate that into our circumstance, what that means is, is that the parents would have to continue to pay for the scharlimud, for the teaching, which even though the, the government has shut down the, the schools, and that would seem to, that's the way the Ramah uh, postulates. Now, the truth is, however, that due to the fact that this is a highly, uh, a very difficult rationale to understand why it is that the parent should have to pay for a melamed who is not providing any service whatsoever, is not doing any teaching whatsoever. So it turns out that after the Ramah's ruling that there are three different approaches we find in the Achronim as far as what's going to be halacha lamaisa. So one approach is, this is the shach and the taz seem to go this way, is they seem to align themselves with the Ramah. They seem to agree with the Maram in the, in the Ramah, who says that whenever there's going to be a Makas Medina in this uh, uh, educational setting, the loss is going to be on the Balabais, the loss is going to be on the parent body. They have to continue to make payments as they were, as they would, as if school is taking place, even though they're not going to be receiving, in the case of the Ramah, even though they're not receiving any any benefit from the teaching whatsoever, it's their responsibility to pay. 
Then you have on the other extreme, you have those who say, who either disagree with the Ramah, or they go ahead and they qualify it, and they say that as a general rule, when there's a Makas Medina in an employment agreement cannot be carried through, we're going to consider this the same as any other case of Schiras Parlin, any other employment agreement, and once they, an unforeseen circumstance arises and they cannot carry out the employment agreement, it's say that the Poel, it's going to be the loss for the employee, that's the opinion of the Nesivas and the Gra. And what that would mean in this case would be that the school would not be able to receive the funds, would not be able to take money from the parents, because if they can't provide a service, then they don't deserve to get paid for the, uh, for, uh, for the, the lack of service. The Sma holds a middle ground. He holds that the Balabai is based on a, a precedent elsewhere. And earlier in the in Shochanarch, he maintains that in a case of a Makas Medina such as this, the loss is going to be shared equally between the Balabayas and the Poel. The loss is going to be shared equally between the school and the parent body, which would mean that the parents would have to pay half tuition, even in the event that they're not getting any service whatsoever. So the Poel only gets half of his salary. The Balabayas has to pay for uh, for half of the uh, half of the uh, the tuition agreement let's say without uh, without receiving any service and that is the primary opinions which we find in the poskin now in the time of some sofer there was a similar type of makas medina not similar to what we're facing now. It was a war, but the schools were shut down and they weren't able to teach. And they asked Sam Sofer to go ahead and paskin, what's going to be the halacha? Do we have to pay the malamdim? Do we not pay the malamdim? What's going to be the halacha? And the Sam Sofer, the great Sam Sofer, one of the Gedolei Achronim, said that this matter is beyond my ability to go ahead and paskin. So I can't really tell you definitively one way or the, one way or the other. Do we say it's say the Dabalabayas, or do we say it's say the Poel, or do we say like the Sma that the loss is going to be shared between the, the two of them? And therefore he said, for him personally, he took it upon himself to go ahead and pay all of his malamdim in full. That was his hanhaga, that was his practice. But he said, as far as what uh, people should do without giving up sak, he said that really the best thing is to be mefasher, the best thing is to reach this mutual agreement of perhaps paying 50%. Okay, and that's a nice compromise between the various sashitas, and that's what he, he, he proposed. So now we come to uh, Peng. We come to the circumstance in which we find ourselves in, and we have to now consider what is the uh, what is going on. What is how does the halacha, the precedent which we have in halacha from the achronu, from the rishon and achronu, how does that apply to our circumstance now? And is if things weren't already complex with a machlokus between gedolei haposkim, which we find in the in shochanarch and the rishonim and in shochanarch, now we the application of that to our circumstance. Make, uh, requires us to consider that things are slightly different than the circumstances which they faced. And as a result of that, that doesn't make things easier for us to figure out the halacha. It makes things more, uh, more complex. So one thing which we never think about, or we most times don't think about, is that in the time of the Chassam Sofer, in the time of the Ramah, in the time of the Maram, when we talked about the relationship between the Balabayas and the, and the Malamed, so there was a one-on-one direct relationship. So the relationship was you went ahead, the Malamid was essentially a tutor, a private tutor, which you hired to teach your children. And then the relationship was direct between the parents and the one providing the education. Nowadays, what we have with the school system is we hire the school, parents go ahead and pay money to the school, but the school then arranges how the education is going to take place. 
So that is not a direct relationship. None of us, none of the parents are paying the Rebbeim directly. None of the parents are paying the Moras directly. We're paying this corporate entity called the school, called the yeshiva. And the yeshiva then goes ahead and hires the various Rebbeim and the various Moras to provide the, uh, the, 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 uh, the education, to provide the actual service itself, which may be a little bit different because it's not the one-on-one relationship between the two. It's something which is now you're hiring a corporation to go ahead and provide an edu- to provide a service. And if that corporation does, can't provide the service, so then it may be that this doesn't fit into this discussion altogether because it's not the relationship directly with the Malamed. The school may be obligated to pay the Malamed, but there's really two relationships which are going on. There's a parent body to the school, and then there's a school to all of the, the Moras and all of the, uh, the Rebbeim. So that's one thing which uh, is necessary to consider. Another thing is, is that there are some schools which are communal based. They are essentially corporations where there's no particular owner, but there are many schools uh, and yeshivas which are privately owned. And that may also change around the dynamics of the, uh, the relationships and what's going on when there is a communal school where there's no particular owner uh, that, uh, that is being hired. It's essentially a corporate entity which is, uh, which is being hired versus where uh, a school which is privately owned who, where there's a direct relationship between the individual who owns the school and is responsible for what happens and the, uh, the, the, the parent body. Now there's another factor. And that is that uh, there's a concept in halacha called motzi maman al-piv. Motzi maman al-piv is when I authorize you to go ahead and spend money on my behalf. If I send you to the store and I say, listen, if you're at the store anyways, will you pick me up a couple of challahs? And you go ahead and spend five, six, seven dollars on a couple of challahs for me. I can't say to you afterwards, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't want the challahs. Since you spent your money Based on my instruction, I become responsible to reimburse you for, the, for that. And I can't later on exempt myself from payment because, because of that. So when it comes to the running of a school, so in order for a school to be functional, there are many commitments which the school has to make in order for it to be able to be functional. The school may need to take out some loans. The school may, may need to enter into some contracts for utilities and for mortgages and all sorts of different things. Whatever those expenses are, which the school takes upon itself, because it's going to have a parent body, which is going to be sending students there. So I don't think that that's necessarily under the discussion over here that the parents could say, we're not going to pay for that. The parent body would not be able to say to the school, listen, you have all of these loans and you have all these financial responsibilities, which you took to benefit us. And now we are going to leave you high and dry. You're responsible to make those payments. And we are going to exempt ourselves by saying you're not providing a service and therefore we don't have to pay. Since those expenses were accepted upon themselves in order to provide the service for the parents. So that is for sure in my, in my understanding, that for sure the parents are going to be responsible for because the school took on those responsibilities only as shluchim, only as agents of the parents, and it's the parent body which is really responsible to go ahead and, uh, and provide that. So that's an important thing in terms of if, there's ne- if it's necessary to make some sort of calculation, how much is essential for the parents to be made and how much is under discussion, whatever part of the tuition payment is made for those things which are universal, uh, in which the, uh, are essentially instructed by the parents to go ahead and uh, spend or commitments to be made, so that certainly they're going to be responsible to, uh, to make.
Now, there's another very important point, which, uh, which has to be, it's a difficult point, but it's, a, it's a, something which is, uh, has to be emphasized. Uh, the Nesivas, in his analysis of, of the halacha, says that really the reason why it's going to be psated the poel, the reason why his opinion is, is that the Rebbe, the Malamid, is going to lose out and not the family, is because really a person is not allowed to charge to teach Torah. That well, just like Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave us a Torah bechinam, gave it for free, so too one is supposed to teach Torah bechinam, and one is not allowed to take money for teaching. So, what is the rationale that we that uh, we have for Rebbeim being paid to teach? So, Nesiva says, based on, on others, but the Nesiva says that really for the limud, the limud is done for free. But in addition to the limud, there is the shimur, there is the watching of the children. So while the child is sitting together with the malamid, so the malamid is providing a in simple terminology, a babysitting service. So there's a babysitting service while he's babysitting and he can't get paid for babysitting. So while he's doing that, so one of the ways that you could go ahead and you could pass the time during babysitting is to provide a chinuch, to provide a Torah education. What that means over here is, is that the, the Nesivas tells us that there's two different components over here. There is the limur itself, and then there is the babysitting. And he says, in the case of the Maram, they only asserted the limud, they only asked the teaching, the, the education part of it, they didn't ask babysitting. So if somebody wanted to hire a bunch of babysitters during the time of the Maram, and according to the, to the Ramah, so the babysitter, the Rebbe, the Malamed is prepared to go ahead and do so. If you don't want to go ahead and make use of his babysitting services, but he's prepared to do the job, that's why it's Pseida the the Balabayas in that case. That's why you're going to have to pay because the Poel is prepared to go ahead and do so. Nowadays, in our current uh, uh, climate, in tough and pay, that's not an option. Because not, a, not a, the real reason is they have nothing against the education. The education they're allowing to continue. The schools cannot provide the shimur, cannot provide the babysitting. There can't be a live interaction. So that may also dramatically change how things would break down in terms of the halacha. But on top of that, in terms of the service which is provided, so now suddenly we see that there's two different components of what takes place. And I think many of the parents are familiar with that, are experiencing this, is that there's one element of going to school, which is the education, the chinuch itself, the learning of the olive base, and the learning of the parshios, and the learning of the mishnayos, the learning of gemara, and the learning of navi, and all of those things which they learn, but then there's also the, uh, the, the element of going to school that the children are now going to be in a safe, protected environment from 8 o'clock until 3.30, until 4, until 4.30, however long your child is, is, is in school. And during that time, a parent is able to go to work, a parent is able to do other things because they know their child is safe, being watched by responsible adults. So that element of our chinuch, of what we pay for, the, of what the tuition dollars go for, which is to provide babysitting, to provide a place for our children to be, which frees up the parents' schedule, that part of the education, that part of the chinuch is not taking place. That part of the, the tuition money is not taking place because the children are all home with the, uh, the parents. So that's another dynamic which is important to go ahead and consider when uh, thinking about these, uh, these things. Then on top of that, there are certain parts of what the parents pay for towards the school, which are unrelated to the chinuch itself. The maram and the ramah and the discussion between all of the postcom has to do with just the schar limud, 
But if there are other things which are part of the tuition payment that aren't related to the schar limud, so they may be may have to be considered separately as a separate part of the equation, a separate part of a discussion. So if parents, for example, pay for school lunch, and now they're not getting school lunches, or parents pay for busing, and they're not receiving the busing service, or in high school or it could be that children are in a dorm, they're getting room and board, which are lumped together into the tuition payment. And now as a result of lockdown, the children aren't in the dorm and they're not getting meals by the, uh, by the school, by the yeshiva. So that also that may be a completely separate discussion as far as those funds, from the funds of the uh, of the limud itself of the actual teaching in the actual chinuch, uh, the, the actual chinuch. one may go ahead and argue that really and certainly for those who are not paying full tuition that this uh, this uh, may be the response that really we're giving you a discount and all of these things are lumped together into one big uh, one big sum and we're not going to go ahead and subdivide it that may be true but that's something which as i said requires gedole aposkum to go ahead and address to make sure that these things are being done uh, uh, properly it's also essential to uh, to be mindful sam sofer has two very important uh, ideas in his discussion of these things one of them is he says that everybody knows that the there's a the difficulty in teaching for Malamed is at the beginning. At the beginning, when you're establishing a relationship and a rapport with the student or with the students, so the work at the beginning of the year is much harder. In all of the nachas, hopefully the nachas comes at the end of the year once the relationship is in place and the learning is taking place. So then it requires much less effort on the part of the Malamed, on the part of the Rebbe or the Mora uh, at the end of the year than at the beginning of the year. And as a result of that, the Chassam Sofer says that even if you spread out limud payments over the course of 10 months, over the course of 12 months, it's not as if each one of those months are equal increments. Now, the truth is, is that the way our tuition payments are, are structured, really the school gives a bill, the yeshiva gives a bill at the beginning of the year. You owe X amount of money for a thing. We will be nice and we will allow you to go ahead and pay out over 10 months. But it's not as if that each month that we're paying monthly for the education of our children, we're paying the total amount, whatever that total amount is, that's how much we have to pay. And it's just for the convenience of the parents to make it easier for them to be able to make the payment. So the school allows them to spread it out over eight months, t- 10 months, 12 months, whatever, uh, whatever duration of time, time that is. But it's not as if anybody could say that since the learning in May and June, let's say, is not going to be the same as it was in October and November. So therefore, I'm going to take off 20% of my tuition bill because two out of the 10 months are not being attended to. Sam Sofer says that's not broken down by month that way because much of the work is front-loaded, is done at the beginning, and it's sort of on cruise control by the end. So two months off doesn't constitute 20% of the tuition because most of it was already done at the beginning. On top of which, for many of the, uh, for many of the Rebbeim and the Moras, certainly those that are more organized, they put, take the whole summer and they go ahead and they do all of their planning and they figure out exactly what they're teaching when and what they're going to say about this part. And they may make sheets and they may have projects prepared so that by the time the children walk in on day one, all of the work is already done. So for them, certainly most of the work is front-loaded at the beginning, and then hopefully it's a cruise control with a well-behaved uh, classroom, a lot of uh, uh, classroom uh, uh, discipline and organization, so they're able to run on cruise control because most of the work was done ahead of time. So that's why it's not, you cannot say that it, two months off equals 20, per, 20% of a, of a tuition, uh, uh, tuition break.
Now, another issue which has to be addressed over here is the issue of who's muhsuk. That there's a concept in halacha where there's a dis- disagreement about money. So generally the rule is the one who seeks to, uh, to collect has the burden of proof. And that doesn't just mean that they have to produce evidence to, to, to uh, validate their claim, to prove their claim uh, correct. But that also means that there, when there's a machlokis, the one who seeks to collect has to be able to demonstrate that the halacha follows opinion A rather than opinion B. When there's a machlokis like we have in the Chassam Sofer confirm this, it's impossible for anybody to go ahead and prove the halacha is like the Ramah or like the Sma or like the Nesivas. Nobody could go ahead and prove that one way or the other. And therefore, the general rule would be the one who's in possession of the money. So they're in the leverage position and they don't have to go ahead. They can't be forced to release that money. So that's true. All of that is true. But we have to think about that on a deeper level in terms of who's muhsa, Because there's three different ways that families may arrange payments to, uh, to the school, to the yeshiva, and each one could potentially have a different uh, outcome. If a family provides credit card information, so having on file credit card information, and on the first of the month or the 15th of the month, the yeshiva swipes the card in order to take payment, so they are not considered to be mochzak, the yeshiva is not considered to be mochzak on anything. The family is considered to be mochzak on their money. And if the yeshiva were to, every time the yeshiva swipes the card, they're taking money from the family, but they don't have any money which is in their possession that they are mochzak on. It's not as if the family gave them $500 cash for the month of October, and now they take that money out of that drawer and then go ahead and put it into, uh, into the bank account. So by a credit card, it's for sure not mochzak on the part of the yeshiva. The same thing is going to be true in the event that the yeshiva, the checking information for the, uh, for the family, and every month they go ahead and they draw a new check. So having the checking information and just going into the account and withdrawing the money from the family's account, also they're not muhzak on that money. They don't have anything in their possession. They just have information which will allow them at some future point to go ahead and collect. The only thing which may be a question is, let's say the family handed physical checks, 10 or 12 physical checks to the yeshiva, to the, uh, to the, uh, to the school, uh, before the school year began. And then as each month goes by, the yeshiva takes one of those checks from the drawer, from the file cabinet, goes to the bank and, uh, and deposits that. So whether or not a check it, it makes the school muhzak on the money or not, so that's a major machlokas in the achronim. And it has to do with the broad issue of how does halacha perceive the status of a check? Is it a star? Is it the same thing as cash? Is it some other? Is it a bearer bond? It has all sorts of different uh, ca- uh, classifications, which it may have. And as far as I know, there's no definitive ruling as far as that is concerned. So this issue of who's considered to be muhzak on the money, which is now in question for the months of perhaps April, perhaps May, and perhaps June. So the issue of who's muhzak is also a huge debate in the Achronim, something which is not the easy to go ahead and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and decipher. And therefore, uh, as opposed to mo- many other issues where we have two people who have a disagreement about money, do you owe the money or do you not owe the money? So there's a certain level of guidance which we could provide for them. And the guidance we've generally been giving is that the two people should try and seek a compromise between themselves. In the event that they can't seek, seek a compromise, they can't figure out the compromise, reach a compromise between themselves. So then what they need to do is they need to bring in a rav or a dain who's experienced with matters of Choshe Mishpat and is familiar with the halachas of Makas Medina to guide a resolution to that, uh, that, that disagreement. 
Over here, when we're dealing with schools, so it's much more complex because you're dealing with hundreds of people uh, who are, all have a similar type of issue, but they all have their financial situation. And then one nitva or one school which has to go ahead and respond. It's not as easy just to go ahead and tell the two parties, the school and the parent body, go ahead and seek your compromise between yourselves because that's going to be an enormous amount of time and effort to be able to do so, to sit down with each parent and figure out what's going to be the best and what's going to, and to be able to negotiate a mutually acceptable compromise for, uh, for both parties. And that's why I said at the beginning that this is something which is really up to the Gedola HaPoskim to go ahead and provide us guidance how to navigate this very murky area of paying day school tuition in a time of a Makas Medina in the 21st century with all of the dynamics which, which, we, which we discuss. And it's not something which is, uh, can be easily answered just with uh, you know, the first thought which runs through one's head to be able to, uh, to decide this matter. This is literally when Chazal say, having the Sunim Bedin, that one should be very patient and deliberate when it comes to deciding halachic matters. So this is certainly uh, a situation where it's extremely important to be Misunim Bedin, to, uh, to be patient and to be deliberate in terms of, of Din. And in Ritz Hashem, with this understanding, we'll be able to, uh, uh, this will contribute to being able to uh, resolve this, the, this matter, being able to figure out is with all things, what is the Ratzon Hashem? What is it that Kodesh Baruch Hu wants from you? Undoubtedly that all of the parents want to pay what they're obligated to pay. If Allah expects them to pay, undoubtedly they will uh, make an effort to pay. Uh, many people face the challenge of being able to make their commitment of the tuition payment because their financial circumstances has changed dramatically. And from what I understand, the schools have been extremely, extremely understanding on a case-by-case basis as far as that is concerned. But on the flip side, undoubtedly, the, uh, the schools don't want to take money which they may not be deserving, or if there's money which needs to be refunded, as you mentioned, possibly for services which are no longer provided, which are not related to the chinuch itself, which are not related to the limud itself, undoubtedly, they don't want to take that money which they don't uh, de- deserve. And the Mirza Hashem will be able to get from the, uh, the Gedolah HaPoskim guidance as far as how to resolve this matter and how to navigate through this, uh, this difficulty. And uh, hopefully it will, uh, it will end soon. The Chinuch, uh, which the schools are putting uh, forward, the efforts which are putting forward are unbelievable. And uh, we have to have a tremendous, tremendous amount of Hakara Satov towards the efforts which they are putting in to make as much as we could possibly do, given the circumstances in which we find ourselves in Chazak Matzah Kashbarfu, should give them continued strength to be able to, uh, to do so. In the Lefum Tzar Agra, according to their efforts, will, uh, will be their reward. In the Mirza Hashem, the Shutfus which we have, the parents and the, in the schools and the Mechamchim and the Menalim and the Moros and the Menaholos. Hopefully we will all be able to share nachas from our, our children together. And as soon as we could get everybody back to, uh, to school and have that direct relationship with the, the Rebbein and the Moors is the better for, for all of us. Have a good Shabbos and a good Chodesh. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 